welcome to episode 436 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a wonderful conversation with regular contributor, writer, musician, our resident social critic, and a self-proclaimed global hobo, JQ. We talk with JQ about the anti-health pass protests rocking France, a particle super collider, being above the Pyrenees, cafes, small towns all around the world, immigration in France as compared to immigration in the United States, Hunter S. Thompson, artists, bohemians, blind pigs, and truffles, among other things. A wonderful conversation with JQ this go-round. We have an EW essay titled Villages, and we have an essay from regular contributor crafted at his place in Harlem, New York. Jerry Geddes shares blue. We have a poem called Papa's Tavolo. We have all of this imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 436 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Get old. 
just standing in the rain Mean what you said Oh, and mean it to me All of these lies Oh, and never again Come on and say Villages. I don't know my history. Do you? The towers broadcast incessantly, though that does not mean we are hearing the whole story. And I am not talking about the, quote, fake news ploy to render us disaffected and ignorant. I favor something distinctly the opposite. Talking with ourselves and one another from a place of empty cynicism won't solve anything. There are real joys and real problems, just as there are real sweet souls and beautiful minds. Scoundrels, too, with twisted belief systems that render our reason mute. I think of artists and expatriates wrestling with life lived and societal truth, drinking glasses of spring water mixed with a touch of vermouth, traveling from one village to the next on winding roads through the countryside with the smell of trees, flowers, dirt, vines of grapes. Maybe it's running away inside a beautiful maze where at some level you know the trials, tribulations, the small victories, and wise understanding of deep acceptance are what defines your place and leads you home. Sapiens are we, stardust too from afar, beyond the sometimes misdirected systems we construct to guide and justify us as a means of defining what is par the course. I think it is easier that way, regardless of whether it's for better or worse, as we might instead sit and reflect openly on our existence here today and live less terse. you walked in the joint I could see you were a man of distinction a real big spender good looking so refined say wouldn't 
you like to know what's going on in my mind? So let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every guy I see. Is that yes, you? Sir. <laughs> Hello, my friend. How are you? Good. How are you doing there in uh, the south of France? Well, I'm hanging in there. Things are, you know, really nice weather. Finally, we had a, a terrible summer um, for most of it. <clears throat> Very un, uh, unseasonal weather. A lot of rain, kind of chilly, which never happens here. It's, I mean, I've been here for a quarter century and it, <laughs> it's never happened. So that was rough. But otherwise, you know, things were opening up a bit. It was a bit better. And uh, just finished my market season. As you know, I, I work on the markets. Yeah, not, in the, south of France, not, the stock, deal. not the stock market. No, not the stock markets. They're more like, I mean, the, the closest equivalent you have to French outdoor markets is, would be like farmer's markets, except that here they are everywhere. They are a huge tourist draw. Because you have, especially down here in the south, which is sort of France's farm belt, you know, you've got all these beautiful villages that in, in, in of themselves are sites that you want to see. 
medieval villages and things. And then there's markets in them where there's just just dozens and dozens of stands with local producers and artisans and all sorts of crazy things. And I, I take my place in there and I, I apply my gypsy trade. You know, you travel from town to town. I have a tiny little stand and it's a weird gig, man. It's the weirdest but best job I ever had. The best because there's no boss and I'm fully independent and the money is quick and, you know, fairly good. But also because I paint miniatures on, on tiny two millimeter wide pieces of mother of pearl. Uh, I do it, you know, at the market itself and people then buy them and I can mark your name on them and they make little handmade personalized pendants. It's a very strange thing to do. <laughs> as a profession uh but you know i can make enough in a few months to eat my way through the year and at the same time that i do that you know the, i live with my girlfriend and we have these uh jeet, which are basically bed and breakfasts and so we have people staying here and there's nightly aperitifs so i split my time between being on the road all summer and, and you know especially on weekends where i'm driving around and and going into these lovely medieval French towns and setting up my stand and then, you know, running away with the money and then coming back here and there's tourists from all over the world. Uh, well, not all over the world right now, but from a lot of different places in my home and, <laughs> or in the, the, the appendages to my home. Uh, and, uh, then we're all, you know, getting together in the evening for these long aperitifs and, you know, the food and the wine and the, the whiskey and the rosé, all of that. And that's sort of my life. And uh, Sounds nice. Yeah, then meanwhile, my day-to-day, -day, there's a lot of work to be done here. Uh, so my day-to-day, -day, you know, I'm, uh, I'm composting things and working in the garden or I'm doing like masonry work. And, and then I'm also at the same time, because I used to be a, an investigative journalist and an editor, I have a very good friend, somebody close to me, who, who works at the Particle Super Collider in Geneva, Switzerland. And he's writing his doctoral thesis. He's the guy who designs the algorithms for the physicists that study the particle collisions. You know, because at CERN, obviously, they're going to create a black hole and engulf the entire universe. Right, that's what we're waiting for, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're all just with bated breath. <laughs> and uh, so he works there. <laughs> and... Uh, and he, he just wrote a doctoral thesis. He's he's trying to get into MIT. Uh, he's a he's a French kid. He's about 26 years old. Great guy named Arthur. And uh, so today, between working on the grounds here and having just finished my market season two days ago, now you know I find myself editing a thesis on the Large Hadron Super Collider and the various computer programs being used as they enter into the next phase of their physics studies. And uh, now here I'm doing this with you, and then tomorrow I'm going to be recording a song <laughs> and playing organ parts, you know, with my group for the, the new record. Which organ so, parts are you going to play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of easy jokes there, my friend, <laughs> but I don't think uh, any of them are fit for your show. <laughs> I had to say it because people are wondering. They were like, oh, is he going to take that bait? And I did. By the way, I should let people know who we're talking with. I mean, it, I did say, hello, JQ, is that you? But JQ is a regular contributor here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, I'm proud to say. And yes, despite my horrible track record and, and criminal past. You... <laughs> well, you know. Continue I, I, to employ me. 
I think you have a great track record. Uh, he's, he's a writer, a musician, an artist, and our resident social critic, among other things. And when you say, when you're talking, you're in southern France, what, give people that might know France or might want to look up where you're at, tell us where you're at. What village? Well, I'll give you, I can give you a vague idea. I mean, the, the village is, uh, well, it, it's a very interesting region. Uh, it's the southwest, all right? But uh, if you go sort of halfway between Toulouse and Bordeaux on a straight line in the southwest, so above the Pyrenees, you know, and then raise that to the north a bit, like the center point. I'm sort of equidistant between Toulouse and Bordeaux. Bordeaux, which is toward the ocean, and Toulouse, which is farther south. Right, right. right. So you're, you're, um, you're not a Parisian. Not even close, no. no. Uh, are they My girlfriend of, is. Your girlfriend grew up in Paris. Just lived there for like 30-some uh, years. Don't the southern French kind of have a disconnect, or they're not so uh, simpatico with the Parisians? Is that true? Well, yeah, there's, you know, there's regionalism in France like there is in every country, but it's particularly, well, all right, for instance, my girlfriend who's from Paris, Isabel, you know, she, she says that this isn't France. And there's a lot of like, you know, hot blooded arguments over whether you should call a pain au chocolat a pain au chocolat, as they do in Paris, or a chocolatine, as they say here, you know, and Dial- it gets very heated. Yeah. Dialects in a way. Yeah, 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 and just different words for different things. But also, you know, Paris is Paris. It's, it's, in many ways, it's, it's not the polar opposite of being here. But this is, this is deep France, where that all the cliches about the rude French people and everything, that's very applicable to Paris. Right. I go there looking for that. I like, I want a bistro where the waiter is going to treat me like a piece of garbage, and when he does, I am so happy. (laughs) That's that's the Parisian experience, and it's it's not that hard to find, really. but down here, no, it's super friendly. It's France's farm belt, but at the same time, it's it's hugely touristic. And uh, for a place, it's hard for Americans to imagine because in America, if you go out to the countryside, things get very sort of uniform, right? Right. And uh, culture and activity and diversity is all in the cities. But here, all right, for instance, you asked, asked about the village I live in. It's called Valais. And there's it, there's only 200 people in the village, but there's 16 nationalities. Wow. Yeah, so it's... it's uh, it's an interesting place. It's what attracted me here is the first time I came here, I was just sort of traveling uh, with a friend. <laughs> and a really we, cool guy, I heard. Yeah, 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 some idiot. Anyway, we, we, <laughs> we hooked up with this British guy, Luke. Um, awesome. Who awesome was living, guy. Yeah, and so he was English, and he was living out of his, his bus. And, yeah, I think you were there, actually. <laughs> um, and in a very short period of time, being here for like a month or a bit more than that i can't remember uh i met just people from belgium and germany and and spanish people morocco from morocco there were gypsies as well everybody seemed to have abundant free time the food and the wine why even bother talking about it it's the south of france you know it was amazing and so yeah it's it's a very particular region is that is that where yeah. the Impressionist paintings in the 20th century, early 20th century, uh, resided to around that area or no? Uh, no, not really. Um, you no, know, no, no. I'm thinking like Matisse and... No, Matisse particular. was a bit... No, Matisse was not from this, this region particularly. He was, he's not from the Aquitaine or the Midi-Pyrenees. He's, he's more to the east. East, okay. 
Yeah, and more Mediterranean. Um, but, you know, like this is not far from here is where Juan Miro hid out when the Nazis took over Paris. Oh, okay. Um, he was somewhere in the southwest when he painted the constellations. Miro. You know, which is yeah, his famous series. Yeah. But uh, going back uh, even farther, you know, it was this was a hotbed of, uh, well, the, the troubadours. In the Middle Ages, you know, the, which is sort of the basis of the the, the romantic philosophical tradition in Europe uh, and throughout the world, and also of a lot of the poetry. Right. Um, so yeah, and also, really, the one of the first times that you know we, we think of modern pop music. Um, well, there was something. There was a com. You know, the way Bob Dylan, sort of sort of put poetry together with 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 popular music, with folk music back in the early 60s and created this revolution where that sort of popular art became one of our, you know, rivaled our high art to the point where eventually Dylan wins a Nobel Prize for right, poetry, right? Right, right, Well, that, that sort of thing is what the troubadours were way back in the, in, in the low Middle Ages, really. So even though it was a courtly tradition, you know, it was high culture and low culture put together. And also... Nomadic, too, wasn't it? Very, yeah, very much so because, well, you know, the, back then all the action was in the courts and so all the hustlers and all the, the sort of parasites and the, but also the, the artists and the mountbanks and the, the, well, the troubadours and the, the theater troops, they all depended very much on that. So, you know, the, the yeah, go ahead. I would say it sounds like you, you, you are exactly where you should be. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, you know, there's not a, there's not a lot of that happening right now, <laughs> but but historically, you know, because of the pandemic or because things have changed. No, yeah. because things have changed. But you no, know, it's just a great region if you really want to live in peace. Uh, you can be poor and live well, even still. That's changing a bit. You know, things are getting harder everywhere. But that's what attracted me here. And plus, the the, the way you could live in the countryside and still have a sort of active cultural life and, and diversity in the people that you meet and, you know, and also I've just sort of been always more comfortable being a foreigner because when I was still in the States during the first half of my life, I always felt out of place within my own culture. I prefer that it's sort of obvious that I don't belong and my accent does that for me in French. And so you're looked at as uh, a foreigner uh, or uh, are you looked at as a, that American expat the American expat mainly because I because of how well how well I can speak French having been here as long as I have but at the same time it's it's not like American culture you know uh, in America you can be an immigrant and 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 have an accent but if you've been around long enough uh, people just yeah you're American you know like uh, I have a friend you have a we have a mutual friend from Venezuela right yeah. We kind of think of her. She's an American, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that sort of watershed moment where it, you just start thinking of of your friend that way that never happens here. Really? If you have an, yeah, if you have an accent and it's not a one of the regional French accents, you're a foreigner for life. Yeah, because they don't have the same sort of history with immigrant culture that America does. Right. It's actually We're America that is more unique in that sense. We're founded on it. That's who we are in a, in the United States. You know, yeah. I mean, it's all about that. Um, 
and depending on where you go, there's a lot more of it. But where there's a lot of it, there's really, if you're anywhere on the East Coast or the West Coast or in certain parts of the South, you know, it's, it's just immigrants everywhere, right? So Right. But if you go to the Midwest or the South, people, except for the big metropolitan areas, are, are ill at ease with immigration, it seems, as of late at least. <laughs> as of late, I don't. It's sort of always been that. Way. Always just, been that way. You're right. You're right. Circumstances, you know, socially or politically, force it into our view more. But I don't think I don't think there's been any big changes. Well, I think I mean, it's I, more I, about the European thing, right? I mean, for early on, the Anglo's, in particular, the Welsh and the English, they didn't like the Irish, and they didn't like the. Uh, uh, Italians or anybody who wasn't, you know, them, uh, Eastern Europeans. And then after that, you know, when those folks came over and they started getting acclimated and establishing themselves, then you start looking at people from other parts of the world that, uh, you know, are the other, right? South Americans and, um, well, the Asians, especially Chinese, they've been looked at in that way since the beginning. Um, and of course, people from Mesop the Mesopotamia area—we uh, call it the Middle East, inaccurately. Um, Africa, all of that. So, it's weird. It's like a European mindset, is what I'm trying to say, that predominates here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it's a sort of universal human. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Shortcoming, let's say. Yeah. That you know the 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 stranger. Think think of the small town, right? Any small town in any nation in the world that you, you get the same sort of psychological functioning. A newcomer comes in. The newcomer is viewed by most, not all, but by most people with sort of suspicion. The newcomer has to prove himself. Once the newcomer is integrated into the community, then they'll protect the newcomer because he's or she is one of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's that, like I see it going out into the markets. You know, it's been a while since I did new ones, but back in the, day when I started doing them, I was changing markets all the time. So I'd come into these towns and you have these permanent people that are there all the time and they all know each other and you show up with your little stand and they're not happy to see you. And it's, they're sort of gruff and a little bit rude, you know, not particularly friendly, but if you're there three weeks in a row, four weeks in a row, then all of a sudden they're like, you know, holding your place for you if you're late. Right. That, yeah, that's great. Is it an economic competition too? Like, oh, here's a, someone's going to take money out of my pocket. There's oh, there's a, quite a bit of that, and the way my stand works, that can that can get a little bit ugly because my stand is sort of uh, it doesn't look like much. It's 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 less than a meter wide. I roll it in on a hand truck. You know, these people have like eight nine meters, big stands. With, you know, they're massive, and with these giant parasols to protect it. I wheel in with my little sort of cafe parasol thing that I actually stick in the stand that doesn't even have a base, right? And, and this, the whole thing is on a hand truck because the stuff I work with, it's very, very small. It's all miniatures and tiny things. And it looks like uh, I built the thing in a barn, which is true. I built the thing in a barn. Right? <laughs> it's just a bunch of wood slapped together and a crappy little chair and a hand truck, right? So I wheel in and I set it up. And at first they look at me and it's like, aw, then the market happens and I'm surrounded by people all day and obviously selling a lot. And then they kind of look at you and it's like, huh, he's stealing business, you know, <laughs> that American, um, that American yeah, imperialist. Yeah. Plus he's a, plus he ain't from around here, but, uh, or the French equivalent of that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, when you do the markets, 
it, it's funny because it's the markets are made up of people who don't fit in or who can't have a boss. Like that's what they are. You 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 know to to do that kind of gig, you have to have a certain personality type and and sort of it, everybody's very individualistic and very. Uh, it's character driven, let's put it that way, right? There's a lot of original characters on the markets. And you get a vision doing it in, in microcosm of how global capitalism works, of the alliances and the, the fighting over every little centimeter of territory and, and the backstabbing and, and you know, the, the backsheesh <laughs> with, <laughs> with the people who give out the places, all that sort of stuff. You know, and I've, I've been watching it for years. I've been doing it long enough and I have enough experience and my, you know, and my stand is small and easy and I only do it a few months a year. So it's very lightweight for me. Um, uh, psychologically and emotionally, I don't have a lot of problems the way some other people do. It's, you know, I, I, I sort of have it easy, but uh, it's very interesting to watch, you know, and, and the way people try to get you in on their side and in disputes and, and things like that. And just how every little nuance of where somebody is placed and you know somebody putting a little sign out in front of their stand is going to bother somebody next to them because and it doesn't really matter but to them it matters and, and territorial yeah it yeah 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 it's it's sort of like you know if you come as a tourist into and the reason tourists come to them it's charming as can be you know there's all these stands there's all these like hey homemade things and great food and the local farmers are bringing in their, you know, and the, there's wine stands and there's, there's woodworkers and there's people like me and there's jewelry and there's clothes and there's, and, and it's all sort of, you know, old fashioned and quaint in a way and, and, and very charming and pretty and people hang out in the cafes and the terraces and there's sometimes there's music, you know, there'll be live music playing. It's great, but that's, capitalism it's all window dressing and behind the scenes man people are at each other's throats <laughs> <laughs> if they only knew those tourists they, yeah 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 some of the stories are anyway but it's 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 a great gig though it's 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 interesting you know and it's certainly certainly better than having a boss yeah yeah and i can understand what you're saying the folks that are part of that it's almost like a traveling show it's almost like a traveling carnival right i mean are there performers as well uh, not much anymore. You know what? I, I stopped doing night markets. Uh, that's where you would have, uh, and when I first got here, I actually, uh, the, the time I came to stay, um, I ended up traveling with a bunch of people who were really just sort of road rats, um, and vagabonds. And they were doing like fire breathing and juggling and things like that on night markets. And I didn't even speak French yet. But I, you know, <laughs> traveled along with these people. One of them could speak a little English. It was all very bohemian, uh, very interesting. So yeah, that that kind of stuff does exist. But you know, those types of people, if they're not, if they don't have sort of official permission to be there, they have to count on the tolerance of the sellers around them. Really, I would think the yeah, sellers because, would like them because they bring they they bring more people perhaps to their to their uh, wares. No, sellers sellers hate them because they distract people from consuming. Ah. See? This again, here, here's your global capitalism. They don't like the artists and they don't like the bohemians. <laughs> Even though they have a bit of that, you know, the bohemian in them themselves, you know, uh, when it comes down to their shekels, they, they, uh, they, they get very serious and sort of cantankerous. So when you go to a, a, a village for a, a village market, do you then, it's just, you don't stay over. You drive home that night and then, as you say, you tend to the, the folks who are, Staying at the B and B on your property, 
Or do you well, just- my week is my week is divided. Every every Friday evening, I I have an aperitif with the guests here, and then I leave, and I sleep at a friend's place that's on the road, uh, because I do a market that's very far away uh, on Saturday that lasts all day, and then from there I drive two hours down to another friend's place who's about two hours from where I where I live, because there's another market on Sunday that is right near them. Uh, so it's sort of this big weekend circuit that I do and it's my two best markets and pretty lucrative. So, you know, that's, and then when I get back here on Sunday evening, exhausted, uh, then I'm here doing markets here for the rest of the week. Gotcha. Friday. And that's July through August. You do it basically late June, mid June, late June through, through the end of August. I just stopped a few days ago. That's and then what are you driving? I like the picture. Are you a stick shift? I, per, I presume. I'm driving a Citron, <laughs> a Berlingo. It's called, and it, yeah, it's a stick shift. It's a sort of a blue. It's like a I don't know how to explain it to you. It's a car, man. It's a, it's a it's a dumpy little car. Uh, cassette player. It's where I need to go. Cassette? No, eight track actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, are you kidding? I've I'm I've entered the the late twentieth century. I'm a modern man. I have a CD player in my car. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know that's not modern anymore, right? It isn't. No. Now you're streaming everything. You know. You just damn. I can't. I can't keep up. Yeah. I I actually purchased a couple of months ago a 1997 Subaru Legacy with a cassette player, and I'm pumped. I love it. I, oh, I would be too. That's yeah. pure nostalgia heaven. Exactly, exactly. By the way, folks, we're talking to regular contributor, writer, musician, artist, and our resident social critic, JQ, from his abode in southern France. Valais, I guess, is the village, uh, right? Is it is it the same word as valet when you go to park your car at a ritzy hotel? Same word. It's pronounced, it's pronounced roughly the same, but no, it's it's spelled get this V A L E I L L E S. Wow, All right. because French. <laughs> You're right, and right. you actually add a little sort of flourish on the end. You don't just say valet; it's valet, valet. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I don't say it like that when I speak English because that would be horrifically pretentious. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but well, you know, I come to expect that from you, JQ. Well, I am horrifically pretentious, but I try to keep it under wraps a little bit. So what have you noticed lately, you know, we, uh, with regard to uh, some political or social movements in France uh, in between the markets and, and all the other responsibilities you have at your home? Well, well, one of the things is that, you know, every Saturday there's been the giant COVID protests. And I, I do Sarlat, which is pretty much the biggest market in southwestern France. It's like a Rolling Stones concert there every Saturday for the whole summer. It's really big. And... Uh, so every afternoon, every Saturday afternoon, it's been interrupted by a bunch of people marching up and down the street protesting the health pass, Macron's health pass. Still a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not exactly like the, the yellow vests that was happening beforehand, but there's a very, very strange phenomenon uh, because I know about what's happening in America where there's a lot of people that are anti-vaxxers and... Uh, and are pretty much against everything from masks to vaccines to what have you. But it tends to be, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm not. It tends to be quite right-wing yep. and conservative and right-leaning. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is that the protests here in France, uh, the, they're quite mixed, but they're actually far more left-leaning. Interesting. 
It is, and it, it makes you wonder if it's simply because of who's in power at any given time, you know. I mean, granted, Trump himself went out and said he got vaccinated and got booed in Alabama. That's right. Um, and Trump getting booed in Alabama, I, I, I don't even know. I didn't know that that could happen. Even though it was, it was, they were very mild boos, you know. They were unsure of themselves. They were like, boo? <laughs> but, uh, but it did happen. But anyway, it, it's strange over here because, you know, as long as I've been here, and I've, I've now spent, as of this July, I've spent more than half my life here in France. And I'm still very much an American. And I am, because I believe in this thing called science, I'm, I'm, I'm actually fairly pro-vaccine. And, you know, my sister is an expert in infectious, disease, infectious diseases and, and has looked at this thing under a microscope and knows the science pretty well. And I know some people here in France, like a a very sort of highly placed surgeon and and the, the majority of scientists in the med- you know if you're not an epidemiologist or a biologist or at least a scientist of some, in medicine of some sort your opinion or your feeling about the vaccines doesn't matter much to me right 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 i don't know when we started this thing where everybody's an expert on everything uh, because they're not so you know i I looked at the vaccine, you know, and, and people, you know, you, you get a lot of this, uh, well, it's going to mess with our DNA. And it's like, it cannot mess with your DNA. It's like, look, you yokel. It's, it's a, a, a bit of the RNA from the vaccine encased in a lipid uh, case, which is a sort of protein thing. And it's rec- it never gets to the DNA in your cell because there's this outer level called the cytoplasm. And that's where the lipid case is taken off and it recognizes and therefore the vaccine works because afterwards your cells right you can't even get to that point in the conversation no what so the hell is he talking about i think we should whip his ass well there's that but you know there, there's there's other reasons to be against some of this stuff and then here in france it's you know the weird thing is even though it's people on the left this is i'm, I'm not exactly losing friends over this because i'm keeping my mouth shut but I, i'm just it's, it's just sort of stunning a lot of people that i'm quite close to just sort of assume that you're unvaccinated and and against all of that. And as much as I loathe Macron and his government, because he's, you know, he's the banker's butt boy, basically. That's his job. Um, And he's doing it very well. You know, as Hunter Thompson once said, even a blind pig finds a truffle now and then. Um, Yeah, it's a good saying. It doesn't make sense because pigs find them mainly by smell, but still, it's a good saying, (laughs) good expression, because Hunter Thompson had a lot of those. Uh, But, you know, Macron happens to be right about this. The the, the health pass in France, which basically is going to say that, you know, if you don't have this digitized health pass, like in your phone, you you can't go into restaurants and public gatherings and and things like that. And and it is kind of disturbing. In fact, I can understand opposing it on the basis of civil liberties, and I I have problems with it, Um, a lot of them. At the same time, I know as well that it was the sort of cowardly choice, the soft option, because if it's between that and obligatory vaccination, then civil liberties, it's it's even uglier. And so they, they went with the soft option. At first, I was hoping, stupidly, but I was hoping that they were sort of bluffing with the threat of the health pass to encourage people to get vaccinated because Macron gave the speech where he talked about it being inaugurated, you know, several weeks from when he was speaking. 
And I thought, and right afterwards, the the website where people sign up in France for vaccination uh, appointments was getting like 20,000 hits every eight seconds or something. It was ridiculous. Um, so immediately, the bluff seemed to be working because a massive percentage of the pop of the unvaccinated population started trying to get appointments to get vaccinated, and it continued like that. And then a few weeks later, they went ahead and, you know, made the health pass official. And so now it's a thing. And so I find myself going to the morning markets and I go onto the cafe terrace and I'm allowed to sit there because I got vaccinated right away because it's the smart thing to do. Right. Right. Uh, and I have friends that can't come in that are out there at their stands where, you know, we usually get together all of us in the morning and have a coffee before we start. Right. Because that's what you do in France. You drink ridiculous amounts of coffee and, and you smoke and you talk about things <laughs> on terraces. Uh, it sounds romantic to me. It is. It's nice, you know. But uh, so all my friends now, they're kept out. And I, and, I, and I feel like it's, you know, it's like this sort of Hunger Games scenario. It's, it's really weird and quite disturbing. At the same time, I'm like, why do, what's the problem with the vaccines? I know a lot of very mystical people and, you know. I, I, I've, I, I've been in on conversations that are just surrealist where some guy and I are talking about music and then somebody else comes in and the, the guy's like a shopkeeper, right? And we're in a cafe. And this is before the health pass gets, you know, made official. And so a friend of mine who sells like minerals and, you know, like semi-precious stones and things like that on the market next to me, who also considers himself a shaman because he traveled in Mexico and became a shaman allegedly, Right. Uh, and he believes he has healing powers and believes in, you know, that if you have this or that stone, it's good for your bladder, like all, all that sort of highly non-scientific stuff. But he's a sweetheart of a guy. He starts telling us, well, if you want some shamanic advice, uh, if you're going to get vaccinated, if you have to, if they make you, and I'm already vaccinated and so is this guy, right? He says, don't get the Pfizer or the Moderna because apparently they have truly evil influences behind them you know and this is all it's nonsense poppycock and the guy sitting across from me who's just some shopkeeper that i had just met says uh shamanic what is that uh, you like uh, you like uh, you sit around the fire and you see it in the flames <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> to which my friend said basically yeah <laughs> oh i love so, it yeah and and so you know people's political decisions are being made in this way so it's hard to take all of it all that seriously at that level, but on the grand level where, you know, all our lives are impacted, it's deadly serious at the same time. So life is absurd. I don't understand any of it. My life makes no sense. Again, we started off this conversation. I was, I was talking about how, you know, one minute I'm, I'm painting miniatures on mother of pearl pendants and the next I'm a Mason. And then after that, I'm correcting a, a thesis of a scientist <laughs> at the particle super collider. And then I have to go work on my album. It's a beautiful life, man, and uh, I, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of yours with us on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, JQ. Oh, it's always a pleasure, as you know. Beautiful. Until next time, and enjoy enjoy the rest of the summer, and uh, probably be talking to you during uh, the autumn season. Take care. All right, my beautiful man. You take care of yourself. You too, brother. Ciao. Ciao.
The crowd is pushing this way while we're pushing that. Baby, it can't go on. Always the belly full, but still hungry for more. Something don't feel right. None of this feels right. Like that light in the sky. It's just bait on a line. When the hell hound is howling, howling in your mind. It was the summer of 1971. I was a newly minted, if unwilling, bachelor, living alone in a new apartment in Greenwich Village on West 10th Street, a stone's throw from Christopher Street, the mecca of New York gay life. I was without a job, I had little money, and my heart was broken. But I was determined to enjoy my new neighborhood and my new freedom, both of which included a lot of sex. The apartment was one flight up from street level, and 10th Street was a well-trodden path to the delights of West Village gay life. The men came in all shapes and sizes and colors, the anonymity and the desire for sex being great equalizers. In those days, if you saw a white man and a black man walking together down the street, not holding hands, not kissing, just walking, it was assumed they were gay. The gay bar trumped segregation and racism. Class, race, and religion all overridden by sex. The streets were so charged that on some nights I simply opened my window wide and sat on the sill, looking down to see who might look up and decide a bird in an apartment was worth 20 in a smoky bar. I would shout down the apartment number. They would ring the bell and come upstairs. More often than not, it was a pleasant diversion, if not a total pleasure. There would be wine and there would be music. My album of choice that summer was Joni Mitchell's new album, Blue. 
and its more somber songs let me wallow in self-pity in the most gratifying ways. One evening found me blasting the album and sitting on the sill. A voice called up from the street saying what a great album it was. The guy had long blonde hair, a tie-dyed shirt, torn jeans and sandals. Shaking off my mood, I invited him up. As I put the needle back on blue and poured wine, he sat on the convertible couch and stretched out his legs like he was planning to stay for a while. As I sat down beside him, he got very quiet, listening intently to Joni's voice. I let it wash over me as well, and we sat there, alone, together, lost in the music. When the last time I saw Richard began, I looked over and realized he was weeping. I asked if everything was okay, and he leaned over and rested his head on my shoulder and said, No, it's not. I put my arms around him and held him as the crying continued. Eventually, he confessed that a close friend of his had committed suicide the day before, and that his name was Richard. The song was too much for him to bear. I offered to put on something else, but he insisted on listening to the whole album, and then asked if I could play it again. He looked at me with a weak grin on his face, and said, Here you are expecting a job or something, and here I am mourning my friend. It's effed up, right? I told him I had actually invited him up just to share the music and that anything else might have been nice but was not expected. He told me he had been wandering around in a daze when he heard the music. We fell into an easy silence and listened to Blue again. I started it a third time as I pulled out the bed and undressed. He did the same and we held each other as Joni sang on into the night and we drifted to sleep. In the morning we shared a bath in the tub in the kitchen and then shared tea and muffins. He thanked me, and we kissed goodbye. I never saw him again. Now, when I listen to the pristine CD of Blue, I think of the scratchy sounds from the vinyl filling my apartment and wafting out into the street. And I think of a moment of shared pain and of comfort when my problems gained a bit more perspective. The wind is in from Africa Last night I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave here, Carrie But it's really not my home My fingernails are filthy I've got beach tar on my feet And I miss my clean white linen And my fancy French cologne Oh, Carrie, get out your And these soldiers around for these friends of mine. Let's have another round for the bright red devil who keeps me in this tourist town. Come on, Carrie, get out your cake. Rent me a grand piano and put some flowers round my room. 
is a starry dawn And they're playing that scratchy rock and roll Beneath the mantle moon Come on, Carrie, get out your cane I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave you But it's really not my home Maybe it's been too long a time Since I was scrambling down in the street Now they got me used to that clean white linen And that fancy French cologne Oh, Carrie, get out Papa's Tavolo A bottle of water shimmers clear because my left toes rest against the leg of the table it sets atop as I move this pen with my right hand to write these words. My father built it using four lead pipes and a leftover piece of countertop. There are screws, too. The legs are painted gold. Cause I'm off my medication, off my medication 
Episode 436 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, J.Q., essayist extraordinaire Jerry Geddes, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Nathaniel Redcliffe and the Night Sweats, the Sweet Charity Ensemble featuring Helen Gallagher and Thelma Oliver, JQ and Friends, Joni Mitchell, Willie Nile, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.